Thanks, guys. You may take a seat. So this week we're back in the book of John. And a couple of weeks ago, Keith Farmer was preaching on John 12 and he said that the text that morning had goodies and baddies in it. This week, in particular in this chunk of scripture, there is goodies, baddies and the totally confused, clueless or oblivious. Um, we're in John 13, 18 to 30. And it's part of John's narrative that can almost seem tucked away in between some really well-known um, like text of scripture and it all unfolds at a dinner party um anyone brave enough to admit they watch married at first sight i do i'm not afraid to say it married at first sight married at first sight the dinner parties are always the most dramatic always the most dramatic part of the week is the dinner parties and this um part of john is actually pretty dramatic um, and it all centres around a Passover meal, a dinner party. Um, so I'm going to just read a chunk of scripture. Uh, John 13, 18 to 30. It says, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I've chosen. But this fulfills, fills the scripture that says, The one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The, disciples, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, Who is he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, It is the one whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it, gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, Hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the, none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pray, pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So, Jesus left, so Judas left at once, going into the night. I feel like there should be some like villain music at the end of that particular part of scripture. So here we find ourselves. We're actually privy to a dinner party, outside looking in. You know, in, um, the different gospel writers actually have their own detail uh, about the Last Supper, and it's mentioned in all four. And we know that those present aren't necessarily seeing um, things in that moment like we can, reading it from the outside looking in. Jesus and the disciples have arrived in Jerusalem, uh, ready for Passover celebrations. And as Jewish men, this would not have been a new thing for them to do. Um, Passover is an annual celebration. The Passover meal which Jesus and his disciples were about to share um, commemorates uh, um, God's deliverance of Israel, the Jewish nation from Egypt. People ate lamb, well, eat, still eat lamb, um, unleavened bread and bitter herbs um, to celebrate the last meal eaten before they actually left Egypt. There would have been specific songs and stories told and memories and lots of thanks given to God. And we know that for Jesus, the time had actually come. For him to actually fulfil his purpose for which he's been born. 
He knew that his earthly time was coming to a close. And we know this. He was saying it. He has been saying it. He's teaching it. And he's trying to get his last little bit of teaching done um, and instruction to his disciples. But we also know that the disciples didn't fully understand, didn't, didn't know fully what was coming. In fact, they were pretty um, oblivious to the fact. Directly before this um, passage at the Passover meal, um, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, side note, when I was a kid, there were two things that stopped me from wanting to follow Jesus. One of them, kids see things very literally, particularly Bible and Bible stories. And when it says that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, that was, that was number one. I was like, there's no way. And it wasn't the servant leadership. It wasn't the actual serving one another. It was the actual touching someone's feet that I was like, there is no way as a kid that if Jesus did that, I'm not doing that. Just so you know, the second thing was actually my thoughts on heaven. I figured if heaven was like church, where there was lots of singing and lots of standing and lots of listening, then it just wasn't, if I had to do that forever, it just wasn't for me. Luckily, luckily, the way that Jesus loved me won out and um, none of that concerns me anymore. But those things were really real for me as a kid. Um, If you want to know more about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, um, Jeff preached on that last week at Tumby and it's actually on YouTube and you can listen to it and see it in context as to how it leads into this part of the passage. So beforehand, it was was, um, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. After the passage, we actually go straight into Jesus telling Peter that he's going to deny him before morning. And, of course, Peter's like, no, that's never going to happen. Um, And in other Gospels after that, it actually goes into uh, Jesus leading them in communion where he says that my body is going to be broken for you and my blood is going to be spilled. Um, from, From our outside perspective, looking in at the dinner party, in the context of Jesus' imminent death and resurrection, this makes sense. But for those present, it totally didn't. Um, so can you picture it? Jesus has just watched the disciples' feet. Um, he's now back reclining at the table, John beside him. Uh, food and wine are probably being consumed. Can you picture it? Now, Jews didn't, didn't eat food around the table the way we did on chairs and table. They actually reclined. Um, the table would have been a low, solid uh, block and couches would have been around it most likely in the shape of a U, and the the host would have sat in the centre. The men would have been reclining, leaning on an elbow, um, and using their other hands to eat. Uh, Jesus, sitting in a place of honour, John beside him. Because when you read uh, the text, it often refers to, depending on what version you um, read, it often refers to John leaning on Jesus' chest. And if you think about the way that they recline, it kind of makes sense. Jesus is reclining, John's beside him, so his head's actually close to where Jesus' chest would have been. But um, what's interesting is the place that Judas possibly had at the table. Because we know that through the text, not everybody probably heard exactly what Jesus was saying. Um, So there possibly is only one place that Judas could have been sitting which would have been on Jesus' other side. Um, so that Jesus' head was actually close to Judas. 
Now, the positions sitting beside Jesus were actually would have actually been places of honour. Special guests, special friends, intimate people would have been invited to sit close to the host. So <laughs> it's quite possible that Jesus said to Judas, knowing what Judas was going to do, hey Judas, come and sit beside me tonight. Gave him a place of honour at the table. Jesus is deeply troubled. He informs the disciples that one of them are going to betray him. One of his inner circle, one of his tight-knit group. Can you imagine the confusion? The disbelief? You know, Peter tries to be discreet and gets John to get John to ask Jesus what, you know, who's it going to be? And I'm not sure how discreet Peter could be. But I can just imagine Peter going, "Hey John, ask Jesus, who is it?" So John leans over and says, "Who is it, Lord?" And and this is Jesus' response. He said, "He where is it? He says Jesus breaks the bread and dips it into the bowl. Says it is the one whom I actually pass this food to." Now, can you imagine John <laughs> watching that piece of bread? I know that's what I would have been doing. Who's he going to hand it to? Here's the thing. In Eastern culture, for a host to offer a guest a special bite from a, from a bowl, from a dish, it was actually another sign of special friendship. When Jesus handed that morsel to Judas, it was a mark of special affection. Even when Jesus did this and the disciples heard what Jesus had said, they didn't understand the importance of what was happening. Jesus loved Judas. He had deep affection for him and regard. And being part of the 12, personally, um, you know, being given a place of honour beside Jesus, being handed that, pe- that bit of bread, was really significant. Judas potentially sitting in a place of honour, eating bread, personally handed to him by Jesus, waiting for an opportunity. Here's Judas waiting for an opportunity to hand over Jesus to the people that were going to kill him. And this is a scene that we see painted in John 13. It then says that Judas ate the bread and Satan entered him. And Jesus, with way more grace than I can ever imagine or ever possess, says, hurry and do what you're going to do. He basically gives both Judas and Satan permission to leave and set in motion what is to come. The disciples are still confused, um, thinking that Judas as treasurer is about to go do something that is business-like um, for them as disciples or, chari- or, or meet some charity needs. What a dinner party. And this is only one small bit and there's more to come. See, when looking at the text and the goodie and the baddie, for want of better words, we see the character of God reflected in Jesus and we see the worst of humanity reflected in Judas. In, um, in verse 18 it says, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. Someone had to betray Jesus. Someone who was close enough to share meals. Someone who was in his inner circle. 
Someone had to betray Jesus in order to fulfill scripture so that we, so that you may believe. Verse 18, the one who eats my food has turned against me actually refers to Psalm 41, 9, which says, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. Judas, sitting in a place of honour, Jesus loved, has turned against me. In some translations it says, ate my bread. In the East, to eat bread, to break bread with anyone, was a sign of friendship and it was actually an act of loyalty. So when you broke bread with someone, it was an act of loyalty, friendship. Um, In eating the bread and then selling out Jesus, betrayal occurs. Jesus had always known who was going to betray him. And in knowing that, he actually intentionally invited Judas into his inner circle and loved him anyway. Jesus knew Judas intimately. Nothing was hidden from Jesus. You know, the disciples had spent three years um, with Judas but didn't see his true character. Couldn't recognize him as the betrayer, even as Jesus handed over that piece of bread. His charade had been good enough to fool everyone except Jesus. The disciples had no idea who Judas really was or what his true character was or even what he was capable of doing. Earlier in John 13, Jesus says this about Judas. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said not all of you are clean. Jesus, Judas not being clean was a picture of his sin, a picture of what he had already put in motion and what was to come. Um, Judas lacked integrity. And there were actually earlier hints um, of his character that his character was not aligned to the mission and purpose of Jesus. In John 12, 4-6, it says, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Judas was a thief. He lacked empathy and he was self-serving. We see someone who values cash over loyalty in Judas. In Matthew, Mark and Luke, um, we see written in each gospel that Judas sought money over loyalty. A get-rich-quick scheme, um, thought out, um, uh, premeditated, planned. He puts betrayal into motion um, and looks for a, a way to make some easy money. Uh, I'll just read Matthew instead of all of them because they're basically all say the same thing. But this is, this is what it says. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. For Judas, Jesus and his relationship with him was second to his own desires to his own self and love of money. Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver. 
you know, scholars are not really uh, sure what silver represented what coin. Um, but some think it was um, a four drachma, or I can't, I don't know how you would say it with a Jewish accent, but four something drachma coin, um, which was worth four days' wages per coin. Okay, so 30 equated to 120 days' wage, which equates, equates to four months' wages. Four months' wages to actually hand over your friend. Now, I know what I make in a month, and I can times that by four relatively well. And I don't know whether four months' wage is enough to actually hand over my best friend um, for his death. And yet, that's what Judas chose to do. And he must have been a great actor. Judas portrayed love and loyalty, which deceived everyone except Jesus. And, you know, there's a warning here. You know, by our outright outward actions, we can actually fool each other. But there's actually no hiding our true self from God. Just like Judas, nothing about us is actually hidden from Jesus. He knows us intimately. We may be able to fool each other, but we can never fool him. And I think if we all took a a pretty long, hard look at ourselves and our culture that we live in, we can admit that it's human nature to actually sell each other out to look out for oneself, to look out for number one. We hear that a lot, people looking out for number one. Um, To take what we can get even if it compromises someone else. You know, all those things are really recognisable because we see them reflected in our everyday world. Um, They're in every great villain character that we watch on TV and movies, but they're also in every real-life character that we see daily on the news. Um, and although we may see them as characters of characteristics of villains, um, if we really look at ourselves, I think most of us can admit that there may be something that could have the capacity to come bet- before Jesus, that could come between us and Jesus. I think we all have the ability to seek self-interest above all else. Someone had to betray Jesus for scripture to be fulfilled. Someone could have been anyone. When we seek self above others, when we seek our self-interest foremost, we can betray the people that we walk daily with. Directly after Judas leaves the table, um, Peter is told that he's going to deny Jesus by the morning, before the morning arrives. Peter says there's no way that that's going to happen. And yet, as things unfold, we see Peter worried for himself, does in fact uh, deny Jesus. Self-interest, looking out for number one, is totally the opposite of what Jesus just spent the last three years in ministry teaching with Judas in tow. Jesus is all about kingdom living. He's all about an others-focused life, a laying down your life for your friend life. It's a life for the sake of others. You know, we see we in Judas and Jesus, we actually see the complete opposites. In contrast to Judas, the betrayer, and his lack of character, we have Jesus, the betrayed. Jesus, fully God, fully human, knew that the time had come for him to fulfill his purpose. 
Even though, even though in his humanness he was troubled, he would have been feeling all the feelings that we feel when someone betrays us, particularly when it's someone that we love. The psalmist probably wrote it best when he said um, in Psalm 55, it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who, who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. From him, but is you, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to hold sweet converse together within God's house. We walked in fellowship. It was his friend. Jesus was not surprised. Jesus knew Judas intimately, but it didn't mean it wasn't painful. And in the tragedy of betrayal, we also see God's purpose and God's plan unfold. And that God's purpose and plan is actually known and accepted by Jesus. It was as scripture said it would be. There was any, no, never any doubt that redeeming the world, that actually restoring us to himself was going to be costly. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew the cost and he was actually ready to pay it. He was not caught up in a blind web of conspiracy theories driven by Judas and the religious leaders of the time. He was not surprised or caught unaware. He was not going to be killed. He was actually choosing to die. The disciples at that moment would not have been able to see Jesus fully aware and fully in control. But when we're privy like we are to the bigger picture, we see Jesus fully present and fully God. In Matthew 13, 27, it says, When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry up and do what you're going to do. You know, Jesus addresses both Judas and Satan. He gives them permission to leave, to do what Judas had already put in motion. Here's the thing. Satan was actually never in control. And he never, will, he never will be. Jesus wasn't killed by Satan, but he used Satan's schemes and Judas' betrayal um, to bring about his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus was in full control of his crucifixion, right down to his very last breath and resurrection. You can, you know, you can read further on the act of betrayal in John 18, and um, we'll get there in, in the coming weeks, when we see Judas lead the Roman um, soldiers and temple guards to arrest Jesus. Um, but for those of you that don't know, Judas has a really tragic ending, more tragic ending. In Matthew 27, this is what it says. It says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have, I have betrayed an innocent man. Why did we, we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Jesus threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priests picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. And after some discussions, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That is why the field is still called the field of blood. 
This fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says, they took 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he valued by the he, he was valued by the people of Israel and purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. What a tragedy, hey? How absolutely heartbreaking. What an account of Judas's life. He walked with Jesus. And I've often wondered if Judas had only waited a couple of days, if Judas had only humbled himself, and repented to the risen Jesus, what could have been the outcome for him? I've often thought that just like Peter, you know, maybe Judas would have been restored, forgiven and set free. So what does this mean for us? (laughs) What are we supposed to take away from this little chunk of scripture today? How are we supposed to be encouraged this morning? Maybe... For you, it's that so you could believe, so that you may believe. That it is as Scripture said it would be. You know, in John 13, we see prophecies fulfilled, the vastness and majesty of God in the detail. You know, Jesus, God in human form, it is as Scripture said it would be. Jesus is who Scripture says he is. Maybe for you today... The encouragement is that nothing surprises Jesus. Nothing is out of his control and nothing can't be used for his good or for his purpose. You know, he's able to use absolute betrayal by one of his best friends for his good and for his purpose. Maybe for you today it's that you're intimately known by Jesus, that nothing is hidden from him the good and the bad. Maybe you feel very alone and not seen, but Jesus actually sees you. Maybe maybe you're conveying things to others that aren't necessarily who you truly are, but Jesus actually sees who you are and he loves you anyway. All of you, the good and the bad. He knows you. Maybe for you today it's a health check. Or a self-awareness check. Um, Is there anything in your life right now that has the potential to come between you and Jesus? Anything that um, you can see being self-interest rather than living as Jesus would. How self-aware are you? How self-serving are you right now? Maybe for you it's a contrast between living a self-serving life or a Jesus life. Um, Living for the sake of others as opposed to living for yourself. Living with an others focused. Maybe it's all of the above. I don't know. Um, Maybe for you it's the realisation that Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he said he did. And because of that, he knows you intimately and that you are loved and that you have a chance to actually live life in a way that actually... uh, reflects um, who Jesus is. Maybe that's what it is for you today. But who would have thought so much would come out of a tiny little passage in the middle of a chapter at an exciting dinner party um, where we actually see a friend sell out Jesus, where we see the character of God and our own human nature in play. 
Maybe for you today, it's all of those things. Who knows? But let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you do know us, you know us intimately, that you do have plans and, and, and um, a purpose that's for your good and you choose to use us um, in, in this, Lord. I thank you that you gave us an example of what it is to just live an others-focused life, that it's about you, Lord, it's about being you to others. And I just really pray that if there is um, things in our lives that get in the way of you where we can see that we're looking out for number one, Lord, um, that you just help us to be brave enough to confront that and to put it down, Lord, put it down before you and to be able to just seek to to put you first and to live a life that um, is for others, Lord. I thank you that we get to do this with you, that we're not alone and that you um, are working in each and one of, every one of us, not only in isolation, Lord, but collectively, Father. I thank you that we are your body and that we can um, do good things in your name, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In your name, amen.